Well, we've got a treat today, because uh, you haven't got to listen to me for another half hour. Steady, 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 steady. But I'm going to invite today uh, uh, Sarah Jane to come and preach with us. I know she's carrying a great word, so maybe give her a great round of applause as she comes to the stage. Here's Sarah Jane. Thank you. Good morning. I now appreciate what the worship team have to go through. Because I learned three lines of, do they know it's Christmas? Oh, panicking a bit yesterday. Oh, got to get this right. I always watching. But we pulled it off, the four of us, so available for New Year singing. So, Yeah, Dan was really good at that, actually. Yeah, he's been practising all week, haven't you? But are you ready for a message this morning? Cool. So if you haven't noticed already, Christmas is coming. Ooh, 10 days until Christmas Day. And like me, I bet you're in the midst of preparing. There's presents to buy, there's food to buy, there's wrapping to be done, there's organising to be done, and there's so much preparation at this time of year. And in our house, we've literally made room, because on Christmas Day, we're hosting 12 people for lunch. And we don't have a table that sits 12 people, so we have moved an 80-litre fish tank of water, which even half full was pretty heavy, into the other room in order to make space for our guests on Christmas Day. We're getting the emergency chairs out. We're getting the emergency table and tablecloth. I'm going to beg, steal and borrow some plates and cups and cutlery. And we're going to host 12 people. But we are making room for these people. And our whole theme of Christmas message is making room. And I want to talk to you today about in our lives how we can make more room for God to move. We've just sang an amazing song that God is the way maker the promise keeper, the miracle worker. And each of us have an opportunity right now to make more room for God to move in our lives. Make some more space for him to speak to us afresh. Especially at this time of year when it's so busy. You speak to people, how are you? I'm busy. I'm busy, 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 busy. I think even Michael McIntyre did a, a sketch on that. That, hi, you know, I'm not asking what you're doing. No, I am busy. I'm just busy. Because it's that time of year. But even in this busyness and when there's a lot of preparation, can we make some space for God to move? Because I believe God wants to do something more significant with your life than you've even imagined. I believe God wants you to allow him to make some room room for him to do something different at the end of this year and in the beginning of 2020. So it's about making more room for God. And I want to look at two women in the Bible who made room for God in two different ways. One woman made room for God by literally carrying a miracle. And the other woman made room for God in a miracle that she didn't even know she would receive. So we're going to look at an Old Testament woman and we're going to look at a New Testament woman today. So the first one we're going to look at is the Old Testament woman. And we don't even know her name. She is called the Shunem woman. Shunem, try and say that with a couple of marshmallows in there. The Shunem woman. And we pick up her story in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. If we could have that, please. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. 
See, Elisha was the prophet. And you've got to understand, back in those times, the prophet literally carried the word of God to people. They were God's mouthpiece to the people. So whenever a prophet showed up, you were ready to listen to what the message the prophet had. And Elisha, he was like the prodigy of Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. I always think, why are the names so similar? But Elisha was the prophet at the time. And this woman had seen him come to her village time and time again, and she'd made dinner for him. She'd made him a cup of tea, maybe a cup of freshly brewed coffee, and she'd invited him in. But then she said to her husband, I want to do more than that. I want to actually make a room for this prophet. I want to make a space for him to come and stay. He often had a servant with him as well, where he's actually got a bed to lie down when he's been giving the word to the people, when he's been ministering to the people. I want a place for him to rest. And, and let's do this, husband. So they made this room. But in the natural, she was making a room for this man to reside in. But in the spiritual dynamics, she was making room for God to move into her life. Because God did something amazing. When she made a space without even thinking it would cause a miracle, she decided to make some room for God to move through this prophet. And this is what happened. So one day, Elisha says to his servant, how can we thank this woman? She's given us dinner. She's made a room for us. She's not asked for rent. She's not asked for any contribution. She's literally made a space for us. What can we do to thank her for what she's done for us? And so the servant looks and he has a long, hard think. And he says, well, her husband's quite old and she hasn't got any children. There was a need there. But the Bible tells us she was a well-to-do woman. On the outside, it didn't look like any drama going on in her life. It didn't look like she needed anything. She was probably a businesswoman. She had finance. She had means. She had people around her, but she didn't have a child. So Elisha says, okay, you've, you've got it there, servant. Call her. Bring her to me. So in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, Elisha said, call her. So he called her. And she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Straight away, she rejected it because it touched on disappointment in her life. Because year after year, she hoped for a child and it didn't come to pass. And there was so much disappointment because it was like, it could be this time, this time it could be a no. There was no baby. So she'd shelved that dream. She'd put that aside and she thought, I'm not going to think about that anymore. But when the man of God who'd come to a house and she'd made room for says, actually, God is going to make some room for you. She found it hard to take. And I wonder, a church, if you do this in your life, if you think that thing I'd hoped for this year that hasn't happened yet, I'm just going to shelve that. That relationship, that breakthrough, that reconciliation with that family member that seems so impossible. I'm just going to shelve that because it hasn't happened. So please don't give me a word that's going to say, maybe God's up to something. Please don't do that. Don't mislead me. Don't give me, let me get my hopes up. This is too impossible. You don't see my situation. You don't know what you're talking about. But the word of the Lord came through the prophet Elisha to a woman who'd made some room, who didn't even know she was going to make some room for a miracle. Are you trusting him in God today to do immeasurably more in your life? Or have you stayed at this place thinking that's it? Are you going to allow over this Christmas period that moment to say, God, I'm going to give you some more room to do with my life what you want to do so that you can get more glory out of my life to touch the people in my world? Come on, we've got to make some room this morning for God to move. And God was good to his word because we've just sung, what is he, a promise keeper, a way maker, a miracle worker. And one year later, she held a son in her arms. She held what she dared to 
believed for. She held in her arms this little baby that the prophet had said in this time next year, you will have a child in your arms. That was a miracle. It was impossible in the natural. But God stepped in and gave her her promise. And there she held it. What did that do to the people in her family and around her when she had a miracle baby in her arms? There was a moment there. But then something else happens because there's a twist in the story. In 2 Kings 4 verses 18 to 20, look what happened. The child grew up and the child was one day, he was out in the field with his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head, his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and died. And it fills me with emotion because the promise she'd received the things she dared to hope for. Maybe she'd had, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 years with this amazing son. There's my miracle. It died in her arms. What do we do when the promise God has given us dies in her arms? What do we do when that relationship we'd hoped was going to turn out a different way? That business opportunity, that family member, that situation, then we hold it in our arms and it's dead. What do you do at that point? What did she feel? What pain? was on the inside of her and what she hoped for was lying dead. I'll tell you what she did. She went back to the word of God. She went back to get a promise back. She went out to find Elisha who'd brought the word of God, the God of heaven and earth, who'd brought the word, you will have a son. And she went back to say to him, what God had promised me has died and you've got to do something about it. She had some faith in her God because you see in her word it had said that he's the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the God of the breakthrough, the God of the turnaround, the one who makes something out of nothing, the God of the impossible and what seemed impossible. There's a dead boy. She did something about it. So what she did was she picked up her boy and she laid him on the ro- in the room on the bed that she'd made for the prophet. Where the dream had been birthed, where that doorway where she stood and where the prophet said, you will have a baby boy. She laid the boy on that bed. She didn't even tell her husband. She didn't tell any of the servants. She went out to find Elisha. He was out that day and she found him and she told him the situation. She said, that word you gave me from, your, from God, it's died and you've got to do something about it. So Elisha said, okay. So he went back to the house. I love the faith of this woman. Come on, we've got to get some faith like the Shunem woman. So 2 Kings 4 verses 32 to 35. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes. The resurrection power brought him back to life. The promise was back. Amen. Because that's the God we serve, church. Even when it looks dead, even when it looks hopeless, even when it looks like this is never going to work out, God steps in. He is the miracle worker. And I want to encourage you that that dream, that hope, that desire, that thing that you've thought, no, I'm going to shelve that. God is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I can bring that back to life. And it's the breath of God that breathed into that boy that brought him back to life. And it's the breath of God and the living power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you and I that has a resurrection power to turn thing, dead things around. Are you going to make some room for God to do a miracle in your life? You see, by nature, I'm one of those people, I'm a fixer. 
I, if I see a mess or I see something that needs fixing, I want to step in and do it. For example, your wardrobe. I, I like to have my wardrobe in order because that's how I work. I like to have things in order so the jeans will be together, the tops, the skirts, the dresses, and that's just Matt's wardrobe. But <laughs> I like to have it all in order. In fact, I like to go a little bit colour-coordinated only because then I can see, oh, there's my red top, easy to find. All you hosting guys, you do that each week. It's brilliant. You can find it straight away. But I like things in order. So actually, if I was to come to your house, and you might not like it, but I would like to put it in order and say, come on, you can see it better. And I have done this for people, and they have thanked me. Some have been like, don't ever come and look again because it's a mess already. But I like to fix things. If there's a mess at home, I like to tidy it up. If there's a situation going on with friends or family, I like to step in and say, I'm going to fix this. I know how we can make that right. And it's a good thing. It can be a blessing to do that. But also, it cannot be a blessing because there's things I step in to fix and God's saying, you shouldn't be in that lane. That's not you to fix. That's for someone else. And sometimes you have to know when you should step in. And I want to say, go to God. Ask his opinion on it, when you should step in or not. And so we had a family situation a few years back with extended family. And I was trying to fix this awful mess. There was this horrendous mess. And they, I've got such a good testimony on this. So if I get emotional, please. <laughs> Just because cause my God stepped in. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. So there was a horrendous mess. And it had been going on for years. And to be quite frank with you, Christmas was a horrible time of year in our family. It was something I didn't look forward to. I could put on the brave face of my children and enjoy it, but it was a horrible time because particularly at that time of year, this cycle of events would come round and it would be hurtful and it would be painful. And I just wanted it to be right. There was relationships that were broken down. There was hard times. There were things that we had to endure and see happening. And I couldn't fix it. And as a fixer, I wanted to fix it. And I couldn't. And we got to the point. Sorry. We were still praying. And I was still trusting God. But what I was doing was doing it in my own strength. Because I'd look at this situation. I'd speak to that person. And I'd see that person on the other side of my family. And I'd be like, well, if we can just do this. And if we can just get this right. And if we can just sort it like that. And I was doing it all in my own strength. And one day I remember Dan and I sat down with other people in our family. And we just said, we can't fix this. This is beyond our capability but we have a God who can fix it and we prayed a very dangerous prayer because we said okay God I'm going to take control of this and you know what when we did that it was scary because we're saying but we know how this needs to be fixed but my God said but I know how it needs to be fixed and you need to live it with me this is not the lane for you to run in you need to leave it with me because I am God of the impossible. I am the way maker. I am the promise keeper. And so we literally had to pray and give it over to our God. And you know what? Like the Shunem woman, it got worse. There was a situation. It was just like, oh, this is bad. I was just waiting for that phone call. You know when you get that phone call that you don't want to receive. And I thought, oh, God. But we kept praying and we kept trusting God. And I want to tell you today, I testify to the power of a resurrection God. Because he did immeasurably more than I could ask, think or imagine. Because the situation, amen. He turned it around, church. He turned it around in the most miraculous way. He didn't do it my way or Dan's way or my family member's way. He did it in such an amazing way that when we sit around a table at Christmas, the tears flow down my face because years ago I wouldn't think we'd sit around that table at Christmas. There are relationships that are healed. There are patterns that are broken. There are chains that have come off because of my God. And so I tell you that today, if he does it for me, he can do it for you. And the thing is, I've got some more victories in my life I want to see like you have. And I'm 
saying, God, I want to make some space for you to do it. And he's saying, brilliant, because when you get your hands off it, I can step in. Impossible is where I start. And breakthroughs and miracles are what I do. And that's the God that we serve this morning. And I want to challenge you and stir you up to that, that God is not finished with you yet, that God has still got some miracles to do in your life. But he's saying, make some room for me to move in Jesus' name. I'm a bit passionate this morning. Come on. Where do you need to make some room for God to move? Get moving. God is on the move. So we're going to look at our second woman now. And our second woman is Mary, the mother of Jesus. An ordinary young woman who had said yes to the dress. She was getting ready to get married. She'd got all that preparation. We were at a wedding yesterday. And if you're married here, you know how much prep goes into getting married. The invites go out. The menus get set. The guest list. Everything. There's so much to think about. And she was excited about... Emily's really nodding there. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) She was excited about getting married, planning her life with Joseph. You know, they were going to have their lovely house. She was going to do all the things that she would have done in that culture. And then God turns up through an angel and says, Mary, will you make some room for me? Mary, will you make some room? In Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I mean, an angel's just turned up. I think I would be the same. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Amen. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Wow. An assignment came to a very ordinary young girl. Mary, I know you've got your plans going on, but will you make some room for me? But what was her response? I mean, initially you get over the shock of an angel's just turned up and give you a message like that. But, but she had a, a choice to make. Because she's like, well, well, I'm a virgin. How will this be? Because those of you that have done biology, you know that you cannot be pregnant and still be a virgin. It doesn't happen. And particularly in that culture of the day, you know, for her to agree and say, God, I'm, I'm willing to do this. Yes, angel. Okay, be unto it me. Let me do it. Let me fulfill what has been asked of me. You know, she could have been ostracized from her uh, community. She would have, could have been stoned to death. Her family could have disowned her. I mean, who was going to believe that going round? Yeah, I'm pregnant. Yeah, well, it's with God. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds impossible. It sounds completely crazy. But impossible is where God starts and miracles are what he does. And so she had an opportunity. And you see, the angel didn't come with the word of God to her and say, do you think this is possible, Mary? Because how could it be possible? 
He didn't say, do you think I can use your life to bring about the saviour of the world? That the, the child that you're going to deliver will be the child that delivers you. Do you think it's possible, Mary? He didn't say that. He said, are you willing to do it? Yeah. Are you willing? It messed up her plans. It messed up her saying yes to the dress because there's no way she's going to fit in the dress. You know, it, it messed up her plans, but that's what God does. Because sometimes our plans are so silly compared with the plans that God has for our life. Our plans are too small for what God wants to do through your life to bring about glory in your family and your relationships and in your world and your work situation in this town. Our plans are too silly. But God is saying, if you allow me to step in, if you make room for me to do something, I'll do something incredible with your life that they'll read about in history books. Because we read about this young girl. But she said, okay, I'll do it. How brave was that? How brave? The Bible, you know, scholars reckon she's a teenager. How many teenagers would say, okay, yeah, fab, I'm going to take that and do that. But she was willing. The angel said to Mary, you have favor. You are highly favored. But it didn't look like favor, did it? Pregnant virgin about to get married, who then had to go on the donkey ride that we spoke about last night. Nine months pregnant. Imagine those contractions, ladies. You are on the back of a donkey. Every bump you would feel that. You would be... Not happy with Mr. Donkey. And then you get there and, and there's no bed. I mean, when Dan and I went into labour with Jessica, it was quite funny because I felt like Mary. We didn't go on a donkey. We had a car, but it's a bit different. But we got to the room at the hospital and I was much further in the labour than I thought and stood around, there's no bed in the room. There's literally nothing in the room. And so I'll leave it to your imagination of how that baby was born. But there was nowhere to lie down. <laughs> There was no baby, but it was the quickest labor ever. Amen. Glory to God. Half an hour and baby was here. But there was no bed and I felt like Mary because I was like, there's nowhere to lay down. There was no epidurals. There was no comfort. There, there was no nurses and doctors to intervene. But there she was to have a baby in a manger. And then there was the whole thing of raising God. I mean, raising children is hard enough, but imagine raising God. I mean, wow. Jesus, can you go and tidy? Yeah, I'll go and tidy my room. I knew what you were going to say before you even said it, because I know what's in your heart before you even spoke it. I mean, imagine that. It'd be the back chat. And then there was that time when she was making dinner, and she was making some lovely bread, and she'd run out of flour. So she said, Jesus, can you go to the shops and pick up some flour for me, because I've run out of flour. He said, oh, I'm doing my homework, Mum. Did he have to do homework? Would he have known all the equations? I think of all these things, you see. So there he was, and he said, no, please, please, Jesus, will you go to the shop and get some flowers so I can make the bread for dinner? And he says, try the third cupboard on the left, second jar down. He'd already done the miracle and filled up the flour. <laughs> I mean, raising children's hard enough, but raising God? Wow. But it didn't look like favour all the time. How was she spoken about? There she is, pregnant virgin. You know, there was no baby shower. For two, the first two years of Jesus' life, she was on the run with Joseph. She didn't get to show off her baby to her parents in her village. She had to hide that baby because Herod was after him, wanted to kill him. It was not the favour that she thought the angel had said about. And what about when she had to watch her son die on a cross? The Messiah. Did that look like favour? But the thing is, the world's favour isn't God's favour. Because the favour of God will position us for service unto the kingdom. But the world's favour is all about status and money and fame. But that's not God's favour. But God will use your life with his favour and position you in places you thought you never could be positioned and bring breakthrough through your life that you never thought would happen and bring about miracles and, and just push through some stuff because it's a different favour. But it always starts with something foolish. I've looked into this and thought, you know what, there's so many things that happen when we step out and do the foolish thing. Because it was foolish saying, I've got the son of God, I'm a pregnant virgin. That's foolish. 
That doesn't happen. And all through the word of God, and I'll share a few things through with you, a foolish thing happens to bring about the miracle. And sometimes people don't get it. And in your life on a Sunday morning in the lead up 10 days to Christmas, is it foolish that you're in church and not rushing around the shops like everyone else? No, because you're putting God first. You know, there's some things in your life that you would do, business things. There'll be situations where actually people will be like, well, why did you give up that job to do that? It seems foolish to people. But when you know the call of God on your life, you know you've got to step into that. And to share a little story, this happened to Dan and I a few years back. We had to do something and people were with us on this and other people were like, that is so foolish. And it was all about a coffee machine. Now, many of you will know that Dan likes his coffee. And he enjoys a freshly brewed coffee. And he'd saved up money to buy this amazing coffee machine, Nespresso machine. They'd just come out at the time. I think George Clooney does the adverts for Nespresso. And Ian's got one as well. He's not here today, but I know he's got one. And he loves his coffee. And it was his little pride and joys machine. He would do instant, but that wasn't his choice. And he'd have these little capsules and he'd have his freshly brewed coffee. And all was well in the world. And then one day we had a friend who was getting baptised at church. And God came and he spoke to Dan and he said, I want you to give him that coffee machine. All the capsules, all your cups, I want you to give him. And my husband's a man of conviction. And when God said something, he will do it and stick by it. So he came to me and said, I'm going to give this to this person. I said, yeah, absolutely. And there's a whole spiritual thing that went with it of why this guy would need this machine. Because this guy loved his coffee too. And every time he came to our house, he's like, oh, Dan, can I have one of your coffees? He was so excited by this coffee machine. And so Dan said, I want to do this to mark a beginning, a new beginning for him. He's getting baptized. And so we did it. And we gave it to him. But meanwhile... Some other people came to our house. Well, where's your coffee machine, Dan? So explain the story, and they didn't get it. Well, that's a false economy, that is. False economy, giving away an expensive machine like that. I mean, what are you doing? We're going to drink gold blend. I mean, that's flipping a nightmare, that is. Absolutely. Oh, you fool. It could, could not go on about it. And other people were the same, and we're like, but this one particular person, it was just like, give it a rest. God said, and we've done it. End of. Because the thing is, this guy who criticised it and thought it was foolish to do that did not understand that that moment that man received that machine, he'd been asking God, one day, could I afford a machine like that, God? One day, God, would you bless me with something like that? And as the tears rolled down this big, burly, grown man's face, we knew that actually the foolish thing had changed the situation in this man's life, had brought about the miracle. And my prayer was that every time he would have one of those coffees, he'd think of the goodness of God. Because it wasn't about us giving up something. It was about him being blessed. And so Dan didn't mind enjoying the gold blend, which was all right. But we've got to be fools for God sometimes. You know, sometimes you you can be in a meeting or you can be doing something and you think, I've got to do something really foolish now and go and say that to that person. And you think, that sounds ridiculous. But you go and say it and you speak it into their life and you see those tears roll down their face and they say, oh, God's been telling me about that. And it breaks something. And all through the word of God, foolish things were done by ordinary people like you and I to bring about the miracle. You see, when you think of it, there was Noah who in a very hot, arid land was asked to build an ark because the floods were coming and the rain were going. I mean, you imagine over the garden fence, his neighbour's like, what are you doing, Noah? Building an ark. What's an ark? Haven't got a clue. But the rain's coming. What's rain? 
You know, it, it's like there's going to be a flood. It looked foolish. And then there's Moses who stood at the crossing of the Red Sea with a staff in his hand. And he stood there with the Egyptian army coming after them to kill them. And this water that they can't get through, it looked foolish to stand there and hold a staff out. And it looked foolish when a small boy brought a packed lunch of five loaves and two fish to 20,000 people. It looked foolish when he stood there and did that. It looked foolish when the Schumann woman said to Elisha, there's a dead boy over there in your bed. Do something about that. It looked foolish. It looked foolish when a widow had no oil left and was getting ready to make her last meal, did what the prophet said and collected all the containers and all the jars from all her neighbours and brought them into a room. It looked foolish with this much oil in the jug. It looked foolish when a pregnant virgin said, I'm going to carry the son of God. It looked foolish when the Israelites kept walking around the walls six times, saying nothing in complete silence. And it looked foolish when the Messiah hung on a cross. The king of the Jews hanging on a cross. This is your God. It looked foolish. But the truth is when the rain came, Noah got in a boat and him and his family were saved with the animals. That when the 20,000 people were starving hungry, Jesus was given the small donation of the lunch and it fed the multitude with 12 basketfuls left over. That when the Schumann woman said to the prophet, there's my dead son, when the prophet went over the boy and breathed life into him and he got up and there was resurrection power. You see, it didn't look foolish then. It didn't look foolish when Sarah, in her old age, said to her husband, we're going to have a baby. She's walking around mother care and she's in her 90s, but a baby comes. It looked foolish, but the baby did come and she had Isaac and he was born. It looked foolish when the Israelites walked around those walls and yet when they blew their trumpets and the thick, massive walls fell down to the floor and they plundered the city, a miracle came about. The pregnant virgin, it looked foolish, but when the son of God was delivered to a world when that child that she gave birth to would then deliver her it didn't look foolish then but it's the foolish thing that we do that brings about the miracle church and I want to encourage you that sometimes you've got to do something foolish you've got to pray the big prayer you've got to step out in faith you've got to do what you know God has put on your heart and it will look silly to people and they'll say what are you doing but when they see the breakthrough they'll say Jesus did it come on make some room for God the angel said to Mary don't be afraid. Already had that this morning. Barry hadn't got a clue what I was going to talk about. I could talk about anything. Football and not know what I'm talking about. But God, to the angel said, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And that's the thing. You know, she had this big mandate on her life, Mary. But he said, don't be afraid. Because, you know, if God gave you exactly what your life was going to look like from the end to the beginning, oh, we wouldn't want to go there. We'd say, no, thank you. I'll take this life. But actually, when we partner with God... And when we go step by step with him, we don't always know what it'll look like. Often in my life, I'm like, God, give me a scroll with the writing or send me the angel to tell me. But we don't know what it's going to look like. But that's where our faith comes in. That's when we have to believe for the things that we haven't yet seen. Hope for the things that we haven't yet received. And we need to step into it and trust God and believe him that we're going to do great things with our life for his glory. That we need to step into that. We need to know that actually if our lives are so safe and so organized and so everything's fine and we can do it in our own strength, we're not allowing God to move in. 
we're not doing it, then we say we don't need you. But when it seems impossible, like that situation we had in our life, when it seems ridiculous, when we think, like, how are we going to afford that million pound building? When we have to step out in faith and believe stuff, that's when God steps in. He's like, brilliant. You've got your hands off it. Now I can do what I can do because I am the way maker. I am the promise keeper. I am the miracle worker. We need to partner with him and we need to not be afraid because fear will come. But we can choose to say, okay, this is scary and I'm scared, but I am going to choose to trust you, whatever it looks like, and I will keep moving forward in my life. We just need to be available. We don't have to have all the ability. Mary didn't have the ability to raise God. There wasn't even a manual about it back then. But she just said, okay, I am willing. I don't care what it looks like, but I'm going to trust you, God. And at this time of year particularly, we need to remember who's been given to us. And I love this in the, in the uh, Passion Translation. It's a famous bit of scripture in Isaiah 9, verses 6, 6 to 7. But I'm going to read this to you because this is who's been given to us. And this is who we're trusting our lives with. This is who we're making room for. A child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be the Wonderful One, the Extraordinary Strategist, the Mighty God the father of eternity, the prince of peace. Great and vast is his dominion. He will bring immeasurable peace and prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom to establish and uphold it by promoting justice and righteousness. From this time forward and forevermore, the marvellous passion that the Lord Yahweh, commander of angel armies, has for his people will ensure that it is finished. That's who we're putting our hope and trust in, that he is in control. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He will reign with justice. He will reign with righteousness. He will ensure that it's finished. He will work out everything together for good for those that love him. He has that plan for our lives. You see, Mary didn't know what her yes would produce. As that young girl just saying yes, she didn't know. But what I love is that she was present at the first miracle that Jesus did. She was there and she actually prompted Jesus. You know, she, they were at a wedding and these weddings last seven days. We think one day's long, but they had seven days. And particularly in that culture, if they ran out of wine, it was a big no-no. Well, I've just come really loud now. <laughs> if they ran out of wine, it was like, oh dear, this is an embarrassment to the family. It would be going around all the villages, all the gossip would come out. They ran out of wine at the wedding. So they would always make sure that they had the best wine at the beginning and then they would put all the dodgy stuff out afterwards. They'd get the blue nun out, you know, the other time. And they come to a point they'd run out of wine. But Mary prompted Jesus. She said, no, it's your turn. He's like, no, woman, shh. No, it's not. She said, no. She prompted that miracle that she carried and said, no, it's your time, because sometimes mums know best. And she said, it's your time. And so what he did, what, what the servants did, she said, do what the servants tell you to do, Jesus. So he said to the servants, go and get those pots over there. And they were the religious ceremonial washing pots that came out on occasion. They were vast and huge. And he said, go and fill them up with water. And then he prayed for the water and it turned into wine. And it wasn't the dodgy blue nun, it was the best wine. And they never did that. They'd never save the best wine for last because people hadn't noticed by then that that would be the best, the good stuff. And he turned it, this miracle happened. And it, it just changed the dynamics of that wedding because he broke off the religion and brought the party. And that's what we do as a church. We break off that religious and we bring the party. Come on. And then Mary, you see, she would see then Jesus go about his ministry. 
Imagine that as the mother of God when she saw and she heard about the blind eyes that had been opened. She heard about the dead man that got raised. And she experienced all of this. And then she saw her son die on that cross. But then she saw after three days, Mary, he's come back. The resurrection power, everything that was foretold has come about. She saw scriptures and prophecies from so long ago being foretold and come into fruition. Because she said yes. The child that she delivered would be the same child that would deliver her. So I want to encourage you today that you don't know where your yes is going to get you. But God does. And he just says, are you available, church? And so I've asked Sarah to sing for us an amazing song that I love at Christmas. It's about Mary, did you know? And just listen to the words of this song, and then I'd love to pray for you all.
and ask you to stand, church. I'd love to pray with you now, so maybe close your eyes if you're willing to do that. So I believe God's looking for a response today. Is there anyone in this house that wants to make some more room for God in their life? If you are, give me a little wave. <laughs> put your hands up, that's it. Amazing. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. Well, Lord God, I want to thank you, Father, that you love every single person in this room. I want to thank you that you've seen the response today of people saying, yeah, I want to make a bit more room for you in my life. And I want to pray, Father, that over this time of Christmas, when we look to the birth of Jesus and the miraculous power that he brought to this earth, I want to pray, Father, you'd do something miraculous in these people today, Father. That as they're saying, yeah, have some more room in my life, I'm making space that you would come in, Lord God, and you would fill that space with your plan for their lives. Father, that you would remind people of those hopes and dreams that have got lost along the way. And that today would be a new day of saying, yes, I'm trusting you, God, because you are God of the more than. That you are the way maker, the promise keeper. You're true to your word. And that today I'm saying, come into my life and make a bit more space. Come in and do what only you can do, God. So I pray for Father, for every thought that is going on right now of how situations seem so impossible, that you would bring hope to people's hearts this morning to say you are God and you are the God of the impossible. And we trust you with our lives, Father, that we are willing to say yes this morning to your call on our lives, that we shelve our own plans and say, okay, I'm stepping into something new today. And we'd make more room for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.